All right, welcome back. Nerd is new cool. I'm Justin. With me, as always, is my good friend John. How we doing, bud? All pretty good. How are you, man? I cannot complain. What's new in the world of the of the Lamberts? Not much, really. Uh, well, Megan's working a lot. Um, I'm still working. Not much. Not much really going on. I mean, that's a good thing that we we are both employed. That's not we the are, same for everybody. We are both employed. Um, anniversary coming up. Yeah, I was going to say congratulations. Next, next weekend, it'll be a year, and then um, actually, the the next few weekends are going to be pretty busy because I got the anniversary, and then the weekend after that, I'm going to see Jordan mm-hmm. up at Mizzou, and then the weekend after that, my parents are going to be in town, and then the weekend after that. We are going back to Mizzou because Jordan's graduating, and then we have a wedding. So yeah, it's gonna everybody's so the, getting everybody's getting vaccinated, so now it's starting to get busy. This is your last free weekend, basically. This is my last free weekend until the middle of May, and for so, a month. So you know how we call people like New Year's babies and COVID babies? Do we call you guys a COVID couple? You can sure. I just thought of that because she was a she was a COVID bride. COVID bride. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, let's let's not let's not uh, bring that up quite yet. I think that's probably still a little salty. I don't know. Uh, it's it's uh, that could be hit or miss. You probably All not right. a good idea though. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give it some time. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about our good friend Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. The Wyatt Earp. So we decided to choose this. Uh, we had a we had a buddy of ours point out that Wyatt Earp's birthday happened to be in March, and so this is kind of a a, a Wyatt Earp salute type episode. We're gonna we're gonna get into some really detailed facts about the true story of Wyatt Earp. A little bit of early life, his life as a sheriff and other type of law enforcement um, roles, as well as of course the infamous Tombstone. Speaking of that, then we're gonna compare a couple films: Tombstone and the movie titled Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp. Yeah. So let's get right into it. So early life, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt. First of all, his name is Wyatt Barry Stapp Earp. And I didn't know that. <laughs> that's a, that's I, didn't, a, I didn't know that either. That's kind of a fun little name. He was born on March 19th, 1848. And he was the fourth child of Nicholas Potter or Porter Earp. And uh, his second wife, Nicholas's second wife, who was named Virginia Ann Cooksey. And he was named after his father's commanding officer in the Mexican-American War, Captain Wyatt Barry Stapp. Of the second company, Illinois Mountain Volunteers. So here's the thing about where he was born. There is some evidence. This is what's so interesting about a lot of historical events. And have you ever listened to the show real quick, Hardcore History? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a perfect example of here's what we think happened, but we're not 1,000% sure, but we're using some evidence. So in this instance, there is evidence that White Earp's birthplace was 406 South 3rd Street in Monmouth, Illinois. But again, it's not quite positive. But ironically, that address has been placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1999. Huh. I thought it was from Missouri. Yeah. We spent, Wyatt, time, in, we spent time in Missouri. He did. Yeah, he lived in Missouri. Uh, Wyatt had seven full siblings, James, Virgil, Martha, Morgan, Warren, Virginia, and Adelia, as well as an elder half-brother, Newton, from his father's first marriage newton james and virgil joined the union army on november 11th 1861 and their so their father was pretty busy he's basically recruiting he's he's into he's in drilling and he's recruiting people 
And so Wyatt and his two younger brothers, Morgan Warren, were left in charge of tending 80 acres of corn. And Wyatt was only 13 years old. He was too young to enlist, but he tried on several occasions to run away to join the army. Each time his father found him and brought him home. Yeah, so he's really trying to get into, you can tell he's just into the military, he's into law and order. In spring 1866, Wyatt became a teamster, which I again, I didn't know teamsters were around <laughs> during 1866, but it does make sense. Transporting cargo for Chris Taylor. From 1866 to 68, he drove cargo over 720 miles um, through a wagon road from Wilmington from Wilmington through San Bernardito, then Las Vegas, Nevada, to Salt Lake City, Utah Territory. And then in the spring of 1868, he was hired to transport supplies needed to build the Union Pacific Railroad. He learned gambling and boxing while on the railhead in the Wyoming Territory, and he developed a reputation for officiating boxing matches. So that's a little bit of the early life. And now he kind of starts getting into, this is kind of a little bit more personalized stuff. In the spring of 1868, the entire Earps moved east again to Lamar, Missouri. So here we Missouri. go. Now he's in Missouri, Missouri, where uh, Wyatt's father, Nicholas, became the local constable. And Wyatt rejoined the family the next year. Nicholas resigned as constable on November 17th, 1869 to become a justice of the peace. Wyatt was appointed constable in his place. So here we go, 1869. First time he's in some type of law authoritative figure, right? In late 1869, Earp courted 20-year-old Eurilla Sutherland, and they were married by Earp's father on January 10th, 1870. And then they bought a house, or they bought a lot on the outskirts of town for $50, where he bought a house in August of 1870. Here's kind of where it all starts going bad. Urilla is about to deliver their first child when she suddenly dies from typhoid fever. And basically, Earp goes through a downward spiral and he starts having a lot of uh, legal problems. Mm -hmm. um, so Earp, Edward Kennedy and John Schoen were charged with stealing two horses on March 28, 1871 from William Keyes while in the Indiana country, each valued at about $100. On April 6th, U.S. Marshal J.G. Owens arrested Earps, arrested Earp for the horse theft, and Commissioner James Churchill arraigned him on April 14th and set the bail $500. On May 15th, an indictment was issued against Earp, Kennedy, and Schoen. Schoen's wife, Anna, claimed that Earp and Kennedy got her husband drunk and then threatened his life to persuade him to help. On June 5th, Kennedy was acquitted while the case remained against Earp and Schoen. Earp did not wait for trial but climbed out through the roof of the jail and then headed to Peoria, Illinois. I mean, being a horse thief, that's no good back then. No, that was a serious, serious crime. I mean, some would argue that's actually more serious than like murder, <laughs> manslaughter, right? I mean, people would just get in disputes and like have quarrels and shoot each other in the street, but don't steal the horse though. But you don't, you don't mess with another man's ride. You don't F with the horse, man. Okay, so now we are actually in Wichita, Kansas. And so early 1874, Earp and his new wife, Sally, moved to the growing cow town of Wichita, where his brother James ran a brothel. Uh, sh local arrest records show that Sally and James's wife, Nellie, quote, Bessie Ketchum, operated a brothel there from early 1874 to the middle of 1876. 
And then Earp officially joined the Wichita Marshal's office on April 21st, 1875. His stint as Wichita deputy came to a sudden end on April 2nd, 1876, when former Marshal Bill Smith accused him of using his office to help hire his brothers as lawmen. Earp beat Smith in a fist fight and was fined 30 bucks. <laughs> hey, all right. You want to talk You want to talk crap to me and my brothers? All right. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And uh, $30 fine? Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. And the local, news the, the local newspaper reported, it is but justice to Earp to say he has made an excellent officer. Uh, Meager won the election, but the city council voted against rehiring Earp. His brother James opened a brothel in Dodge City, and Earp left Wichita to join him. Okay, so now we are in Dodgewood, or Dodgewood, Dodge City, and also a little bit of Deadwood. So after 1875, Dodge City, Kansas became a major terminal for cattle drives from Texas along the Chisholm Trail. Earp was appointed assistant marshal in Dodge City under Marshal Lawrence Dager around May 1876, and he spent the winter uh, through 76-77 in the gold rush boomtown of Deadwood in the Dakota Territory. October 1877, outlaw Dave Rudaba, which I, I love his name. Rudaba? Rudaba. <laughs> I just think it's just the best name. Ra he robbed a Santa Fe Railroad construction camp and fled south. Earp was given a temporary commission as deputy U.S. marshal. He left Dodge City, followed Rudaba over 400 miles through Fort Clark, Texas, um, where basically the newspaper reported his presence on or presence on January twenty second, eighteen seventy eight, and then he went on to Fort Griffin, Texas. He arrived at the frontier town on the Clear Fork of the Brazos River and went to the Beehive Saloon, the largest in town and owned by John Chancy, whom Earp had known since he was twenty one. So Shancy told Earp that Rudabaugh had passed through town earlier in the week, but didn't know where he was headed. This is kind of why we included this, because this is when Shaughnessy suggested that Earp asked gambler Doc Hollywood, who played cards with Rudabaugh. Holiday, um, not Doc Hollywood. What did I say? You said, you said Hollywood, the, uh, well, the Michael J. Fox movie. I think everyone loves the Michael J. Fox film. I apologize. I do. I, I wish it was Doc Hollywood. Uh, Doc Hollywood. <laughs> Doc That'd Holiday. Doc Holiday is pretty badass, too, though. So he played cards with Rudabaugh. <laughs> Doc told Earp that Rudabaugh had, was headed back into Kansas. And then the Dodge City Times noted on May 14th of that year that he'd been appointed assistant marshal for $75 per month serving under Charlie Bassett. So Doc Holliday showed up in Dodge City as well with his common-law wife, Big Nose Kate, during the summer of 1870. Another another fun name. Big Nose Kate, 1878. Ed Morrison and another two dozen cowboys rode into Dodge that summer and shot the town, galloping down Front Street. They entered the Long Branch Saloon, vandalized and harassed the customers. Hearing the commotion, Earp burst through the front door to find numerous guns pointing at him. And another version has only three to five cowboys, but it's a lot better when there's you know half you know more than half a dozen. Basically, though, in both versions, Holiday was playing cards in the back, and he put his pistol to Morrison's head, forced him and his men to disarm. Earp credited Holiday with saving his life that day, and basically the rest is history. And now they're now they're best friends. And then also while in Dodge City, Earp became acquainted with James and Bat Masterson, Luke Short. And a prostitute, Maddie Blaylock, who became his common-law wife in 1881. 
Well, I guess until 1881. Until 1881, right. Now the move to Tombstone, which, again, if you've seen either Wyatt Earp or Tombstone, th- these stories probably sound fairly familiar. There's a lot going on here yes. that both films fairly accurately portray. More on that later. Virgil Earp was the town constable in Prescott, which is in Ari- was, was in the Arizona Territory, and he wrote to Earp, about the opportunities in the silver mining boom town of Tombstone. He later wrote, quote, in 1879, Dodge was beginning to lose much of the snap, which had given it a charm to men of reckless blood. And I decided to move to Tombstone, which was just building up a reputation, end quote. Earp resigned from Dodge City Police Force on September 9th, 1879, and traveled to Las Vegas in New Mexico territory with his common-law wife, Maddie, brother Jim, and Jim's wife, Bessie. They, there, they reunited with Holiday and Big Nose Kate, and the six of them went on to Prescott. Virgil gets appointed Deputy U.S. Marshal for the Tombstone Mining District on November 27, 1879, three days before they left for Tombstone by the U.S. Marshal for the Arizona Territory, Crawley P. Dake. Virgil was to operate out of Tombstone some 280 miles from Prescott, and his territory included the entire southeast area of the Arizona Territory. That's a lot of land to cover. Mm-hmm. I guess a lot of it's just riding from one spot to another on a horse. Well, and you have like people under you as well to help out. It's not just not just him. Right. Yeah. But Wyatt, Virgil, and James arrived in Tombstone with their wives on December 1st, 1879, while Doc Holliday remained in Prescott, where the gambling afforded better opportunities. And Wyatt originally, he brought a bunch of horses and a buckboard wagon. He planned to convert that into a stagecoach and basically establish stage lines, but that was already happening. So he later said that he made most of his money in Tombstone as a professional gambler, which which we get to see. Which we which we get to see. So now this is when he becomes a deputy sheriff. County Sheriff Charles A. Scheibel appointed Virgil as deputy sheriff for the eastern part of Pima County, Arizona on January 28, 1880, which included Tombstone. Wyatt appointed a deputy, Wyatt who was appointed a deputy by his brother, then passed his Wells Fargo job a shotgun messenger to his brother Morgan. Wells Fargo again pops pops in there. That's pretty interesting. Uh, Wyatt did his job well, and his name was mentioned nearly every week from August through November in the Tombstone Epitaph or the Nugget newspapers. Hmm. On October twenty eighth, eighteen eighty, Tombstone Marshal Fred White attempted to break break up a group of. Five late-night drunken revelers shooting at the moon on Allen Street. Deputy Sheriff Earp was in Owens Saloon a block away. Though unarmed, Morgan and Fred Dodge were in a cabin nearby. Wyatt heard the shooting and ran to the scene, and he borrowed a pistol from Fred and went to assist White. But as he approached White, he saw White attempt to disarm Curly Bill, and the gun discharged, striking White in the groin. Hmm. Not the chest. Not the chest. Throughout the shooting, Earp was standing by a chimney that was struck repeated by gunfire. He he buffaloed Brocious, knocked him to the ground, then grabbed Brocious by the collar and told him to get up. So on December 27th, 1880, Earp testified that White's shooting was accidental. Interesting. Brocious expressed regret, saying that he had not intended to shoot White, 
Gunsmith Jacob Gruber testified that Broch's single action revolver was defective, allowing it to be discharged at half cock. A statement was introduced, which White had made, stating that the shooting was accidental. The judge ruled that the shooting was accidental and released Brocious. Brocious, however, remained intensely angry about how Earp had pistol whipped him and became an enemy of the Earps. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of different type of tensions, mm. things <laughs> that happen between you know the Earps and the Cowboys, elections, robberies, back and forths, gunmen versus outlaws. We don't have time for all that. Maybe that's another episode just about the Cowboys and the Earps. But eventually, there is a gunfight on Fremont Street. And the tension came to a head between the Earps and the Cowboys on Wednesday, October 26th, 1881. Ike Clanton, Billy Claiborne, and other Cowboys have been threatening to kill the Earps for several weeks. And Tombstone City Marshal Virgil Earp learned that they were armed and gathered near the OK Corral. He asked Wyatt and Morgan as well as Doc Holliday, to assist him as he intended to disarm them. Wyatt had been deputized by Virgil a few days prior as a temporary assistant marshal, and Morgan was a deputy city marshal. Around 3 p.m., the Earps and Holliday headed towards Fremont Street, where the Cowboys had been gathering. They found five Cowboys in a vacant lot adjacent to the O.K. Corral's rear entrance on Fremont Street. The lot was narrow between the Harewood House and Fly's boarding house and a photography studio. The two parties were initially only about six to ten feet apart. Ike Clanton and Billy Claiborne fled, but Tom and Frank McClowry and Billy Clanton, or Billy Claiborne fled, Billy Clanton stood their ground and were killed. Morgan was clipped by a shot across the back that nicked both shoulder blades and a vertebrae. Virgil was shot through the calf, and Holiday was grazed by a bullet. So the Earps have the upper hand, but not for long. Here comes the Cowboys. Virgil gets ambushed on December 28th while walking between saloons on Allen Street and Tombstone. He was maimed by a gunshot blast, struck his left arm and shoulder. Um, Ike Clanton's hat was found in the back of the building across Allen Street from where the shots were fired. So most people speculate he's the one that did the shooting. Yes. Wyatt wired U.S. Marshal Crowley P. Dake, also a great name. Crowley, uh, asking to be appointed deputy U.S. marshal and authority, and to and and give him the authority to select his own marshals. Dake granted the request in late January and provided the Earths with some funds that he borrowed from Wells Fargo, variously reported between five hundred or three thousand dollars. Morgan Earp was murdered on March eighteenth, eighteen eighty-two, while playing billiards. Shot by gunman, fired from a dark alley through a door window into the billiard room. He struck on the right side. The bullet shattered his spine, passed through his left side, lodged in his thigh. Just really screwed him all up. Uh, almost actually hit George A. Barry as well, who was right there. A doctor was summoned, and Morgan was moved to the floor, um, or from the floor to a nearby couch. Murderers got away. It's at night. He died 40 minutes later. And Wyatt felt that he could not rely on civil justice and decided to take matters into his own hands. Mm-hmm. The day after Morgan's murder, Deputy U.S. Marshal Wyatt Earp formed a posse made up as, of his brothers, James and Warren, Doc Holliday, Sherman McMaster, Jack Turkey Creek Johnson, Charles Harelip Charlie Smith, God, such good names, Dan Tipton, and Texas Jack Vermillion. To protect the family and pursue the suspects, paying them $5 a day. Their posse 
uh, briefly returned to Tombstone, where Sheriff Behan tried to stop them. Oh, Behan, you spineless piece of shit. Behan. But, but he was brushed aside, of course. He was brushed aside. He's not going to let him arrest them that day. Harelip, Charlie, and Warren remained in Tombstone, and the rest set out for Pete Spence's wood camp in the Drag- Dragoon Mountains. Spence was absent, but they found and killed Florentino Indian Charlie Cruz. Two days later, they stumbled into the, the wood camp of William Brocious, Pony Deal, and other outlaw cowboys near Iron Springs in Wheatstone Mountains, in the Wheatstone Mountains. According to reports from both sides, the two immediately exchanged gunfire. The Earth Party withdrew to find protection from the heavy gunfire, except for Wyatt and Texas Jack Vermillion, whose horse was shot. Curly Bill fired at Wyatt with a shotgun, but missed. Wyatt returned to his gunfire with his own shotgun, hitting him in the chest from about 50 feet away, causing him to fall and die. Wyatt then fired his revolver, mortally wounding Johnny Barnes in the chest and wounding Milt Hicks in the arm. The coroner also credits the Earp Posse with killing Frank Stillwell, Curly Bill, Indian Charlie, and Johnny Barnes in their two-week-long ride. In 1888, Earp gave an interview to California historian Hubert Howe Bancroft, during which he claimed to have killed over a dozen stage robbers, murderers, and cattle thieves in his time as a lawman. While and then this, you know, we're getting into later life a little bit. While living in Los Angeles, Earp became unpaid film consultant for several silent cowboy movies. In the early 1820s, Earp was given the honorary title of deputy sheriff in San Bernardino County. California. Wyatt Earp was the last surviving Earp brother and the last surviving participant of the gunfight at the OK Corral when he died at home uh, in the Earp's small rented bungalow at 4004 West 17th Street in Los Angeles of chronic cystitis on January 13th, 1929. He was 80 years old. All right. So that's a real quick backstory of Wyatt Earp, the legend. We thought what more fun to do would be actually let's compare the two films that are, I would say, definitely in our time most popular as far as you know renditions of what it was, mm-hmm. what Wyatt Earp was like him growing up, but then also a more specific moment in his life. So we're going to compare, break down in categories, the old Wyatt Earp versus Tombstone. Ready? I'm ready. Do you already know who's going to win this? I already know who's going to win this. All right. Category number one, (laughs) overall rankings. So first off, we've got Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp is a 46% on Rotten Tomatoes, but a 67% on IMDb. Uh, Tombstone was 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, and IMDb at 7.8. The box office. So Okay, so Wyatt Earp wins that one. I'm sorry, Tombstone wins that one. Box office. Wyatt Earp had a budget of $63 million, estimated. Opening weekend in the U.S., $7.5 million. That was June 6th, or June 26, 1994. Gross in the U.S. was just over $25 million. Cumulative worldwide gross is also just over $25 million. Remember, this is 94. They're not really tracking a whole lot of international um, sales. Sales for the most part, right? Yeah. Tombstone, budget of $25 million, opening weekend, about $6.5 million on December 26, 1993. And then the gross U.S. and worldwide was 
56 and a half million dollars so it made so one made money and one lost money well this one doubled tombstone doubled its money wider yeah. didn't make back half its money <laughs> no it didn't okay tombstone wins that one let's get into the writers okay so for wider we've got dan gordon who also wrote the hurricane passenger 57 and surf ninjas let's not forget surf ninjas <laughs> i had to put that on there because it made me laugh. Lawrence Kasdan, I think we know that guy. He also wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Big Chill, Return of the Jedi, The Bodyguard, and Force Awakens and Solo. Good lord. <laughs> Tombstone was written by Kevin Jerry? Jerry, whatever. Yeah, sure. Uh he and he also wrote Glory, The Devil's Own, Rambo First Blood Part 2, and The Mummy. Which mummy? Like the Brendan Fraser mummy, the Brendan Fraser one. Love that one. I know. So this is this is harder now that I'm looking at these things on paper. It's a little bit harder than I when I was typing them out. I was like, okay, well, there's a clear winner. I yeah, think that there's a kind of a clear winner. I think there's definitely a ranking of the three writers. Dan Gordon loses, even though Hurricane and Patch Fifty Seven and Nerf Ninjas or Surf Ninjas are, are all great in my opinion. <laughs> um, Glory is a fantastic movie. One of bunch that- of. I was going to say, that won a bunch of awards. A bunch of Academy Awards, including Denzel, Best Supporting. Devil's Own, let's not forget about that. That's great. Brad Pitt, Harrison Ford, not the best Irish accents, but not bad. Rambo, and we just said we love The Mummy. But, I mean, you got to give it to Kasdan, right? Yeah, the rank is, you know, Kasdan, Jerry, and Gordon. Because, I mean, just you could you could just list the first two. I know that you had you got Empire and Raiders. I was going to say that same. Mic drop. Doesn't matter what else is on there. That that guy wins. Doesn't okay. you're you're talking about uh, like in most people's opinion the best Star Wars movie and the best Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So up next we've got director for Wyatt Earp. We've got Lawrence Kasdan, who also directed Dreamcatcher, French Kiss, The Axel Tourist, The Big Chill, and Body Heat. And then for Tombstone, you have George P. Cosmatos, who did lots of Sly. Cobra, Sly movie. Rambo, part two, First Blood Part 2, Sly movie. And Leviathan. Did you ever see that? I didn't know. Was it good? Oh. It was basically like a horror version of The Abyss. Because it was all underwater, except instead of like, you know, trying to make contact, it was just trying to kill people. It, was, it wasn't. I mean, it was mindless entertainment yeah well i mean you know i, I don't mind mindless entertainment <laughs> no no me neither well okay so i i i i think i still think we got to go with i, mean, I think you got to go with you got to go Kasdan. Lawrence Kasdan, right yeah 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 i mean his his writing credits are certainly much stronger than his director credits but his director credits still aren't bad big chill body heat Dreamcatcher was a weird movie. And French Kiss is a good romantic comedy. Yeah, it's funny. It and, is. And I think Dreamcatcher is underrated, personally. People are probably going to give me some hate mail, but I I don't know. I, I, like- I, I think I saw it, but I only saw it once because it was just kind of out there. I mean, it's super uh, awkward. It's, it's it's Stephen King, so it's kind of messed up. They're all they're all they're all fucked up and weird in some way. And no matter what, like he's never happy with the way it's portrayed on screen. There's always something wrong, probably because it's not as crazy as it should be. 
Uh, probably, yeah. Yeah, your brother could attest to that. I know he's a big Stephen King guy. Uh, he's read all of them. Probably yeah. read them multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Wyatt Earp takes that one. All right. So it's two to two. Best main characters. With Wyatt Earp, we've got Kevin Costner, who plays Wyatt Earp, Dennis Quaid, Doc Holliday, and Gene Hackman, who plays Daddy Earp, Nicholas Earp. For Tombstone, you have Kurt Russell, who played Wyatt Earp, Val Kilmer, who played Doc Holliday, Sam Elliott played Virgil, Bill Paxson plays Morgan, Powers Booth played Curly Bill Brocious, and Michael Bean played Johnny Ringo. Johnny Ringo. This is a really tough one for me. It is a tough one for me, too, because, yeah, you got some heavy hitters on both sides. I mean, let's just kind of go through. So I feel like Kurt Russell and Kevin Costner, they kind of like are a wash, right? Yep, as far as as far as notoriety and just films they've been in and, and acclaim and whatever. Dennis Quaid and Val Kilmer, I think, are both. What's interesting is that I think they, both do, a wash too. they both do Doc Hollywood in different in a different way, but they're both equally great. You said you said it again. What I, did I say Hollywood again? Oh, you did. <laughs> I'm gonna keep saying Hollywood. Doc That's Holiday. Everybody knows Doc. what you. Everybody knows what you mean. I know. I would what you hope mean. so. I'm just gonna say the Doc, the Doc. But they. Do you get what I'm saying though? Like, so Dennis Quaid plays Doc as really a fucking braggadocious, just over the top, kind of asshole. an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he's just glad we both said it. He's kind of a dick. But he's yeah. a likable, he's a lovable asshole. Whereas Val Kilmer is like a really confident, arrogant asshole, <laughs> different way. He's like, yeah, Val Kilmer's a little more debonair. He's yeah, a little more a he's a little more he's a little more suave, mm-hmm. a little smoother. Um yeah. but yeah, and like Dennis Quaid's one is just he's a little rougher around the edges. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, little dove. <laughs> uh okay, so let's call those two a wash. So then we got Gene Hackman, and I think of all the actors on this list, Gene Hackman is the, I would say, he's the probably best, the biggest one, the biggest star. The I mean, it's hard to kind of think about people how big of an impact Gene Hackman had, especially since he's been retired for basically fifteen years now, since Welcome to Mooseport, I think was his last film. <laughs> Great way to go out, <laughs> right? Right. So you don't you kind of forget about him, but you don't realize how many amazing movies he was in in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got Sam Elliott, definitely coming correct on quite a few films, especially Roadhouse. Bill Paxton, Game Over, man. I mean, and yeah. Aliens, Aliens. Thanks. I have a big Twister. fan of Powers Booth. Powers Booth. I don't like I recognize him, but I couldn't tell you another thing he's in. He's one of the best just bad guys, like secondary, like tertiary bad guys, in my opinion. And then also Michael Bean, who's who let's we gotta mention he's a Sigma New. And he plays Johnny Ringo, and he's and I mean he's in Terminator and he's in Aliens also. He's just super charismatic, I think. Like mm-hmm. there's a whole nother universe that exists that Michael Bean basically he should be bigger than he is, in my opinion. Yeah. So it's really the question of, does Gene Hackman trump those other four? Or is it a wash between Gene Hackman and the combination of Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, and Michael Bean? I mean, I'm talking about how great those other four are, but I still think Gene Hackman actually does trump all those other four. He probably does, too. I mean, it's he either trumps it. Or it's tied. At the very least, a tie. Let's give it to Wider. We got to give Wider up as many categories as we can right now. 
<laughs> right. All right. On to best secondary category or characters. <laughs> best secondary characters. Wide Earp, we've got David Andrews, who plays James Earp. Lyndon Ashby, who plays Morgan. And you will know him as Johnny Cage from Mortal Kombat. Yep. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Uh, is it Fahey or Fahey? Probably Fahey. Fahey plays Ike Clanton. Uh, I like this dude. He's, if you remember, he's the pilot from Lost. He's also the main, I guess, antagonist slash protagonist in Lawnmower Man, the original. He's in a bunch of other crap, too. Joanna Going is plays Josie. Mark Harmon, who plays Sheriff Behan. We all know Summer Mark Harmon. And CSI. We got to put, like, yeah, I had to put Summer School in there. Right? CSI or Criminal Minds? Well, which one is he in? He's, I don't know. They're, they're, I don't they know. all bleed together. But yeah, he's been on that show forever. Yeah. I think he's actually leaving after this season, finally. He's calling it quits after like 20, 28 seasons. 30 years or whatever. Yeah. Michael Madsen God, plays Virgil Earp. Guy's just, just creepy. I can't get past him in Reservoir Dogs. But he, but he's also he's creepy, but he's also maybe one of the coolest guys ever. Oh, he is, he is really cool. Yeah. He, he's, and I'm not even saying that it's like sarcastically. Like he's definitively cooler than I am. Yeah. We got Catherine O'Hare. Who's definitely had a new resurgence with Shit's Creek, but even before that, she's got a good. She's had a good career. Man plays Allie. Uh, we got Bill Pullman, who plays Ed Masterson. Bill Pullman, one of you remember, one of the best on-screen fake presidents of all time. Yes, he was. Isabella Rosalini, who plays Big Nose Kate, and of course Tom Sizemore, who plays Bat Masterson. And Tom Sizemore, I mean, besides Saving Private Ryan, Heat. A handful of other amazing films he's in yes tombstone we've got charlton heston charlton heston as henry hooker hooker's ranch it's mm-hmm. charlton heston yeah he's been a lot of stuff jason Priestley as billy breckenridge john tenney as sheriff behan you may remember him from beverly hills cop 2 Stephen Lang as Ike Clanton, and I didn't put it until you until you did this research. He is like, I guess you would say he's the antagonist in Avatar. Did yeah. not put that together at all. I was like, holy shit, that is him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church is Billy Clanton. Great, Easy A, Spider Man, Wings. Right. <laughs> yep. Uh, Dana Delaney as Josephine Marcus, who was also in Desperate Housewives. <clears throat> Paula Malcolmson as Allie Earp. You remember, may remember her from Hunger Games and Deadwood. And Dana Wheeler Nicholson as Maddie Earp, who was also in Fletch. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think that in Tombstone, a lot of these, well, besides Thomas Hayden Church, a lot of the rest of these, well, I guess Jason Priestley too. Mm-hmm. Okay, never mind. I was going to say a lot of them are kind of older, but I guess they aren't really that old. No, I, yeah. I, th- I think this it's movie far- came out in 93. Yeah, I think as far as having longer lasting effects impact on film television, I think it's got to be Wyatt Earp again, right? I mean, just with Michael Madsen, Catherine O'Hara, Bill Pullman, and Tom Sizemore, those four, I mean... And Mark Harmon, when you go to the small screen as opposed to the big screen, I mean, he's had a long, long TV career. Yeah, I mean, and listen, I don't want to like... I mean, Charles (laughs) Heston obviously is a, a, a gigantic... He's an icon. Right. Uh, I love Thomas Hayden Church, and we forgot to mention Sideways, one of my favorite movies with him in it. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Besides those two, and then you throw in like Jason Priestley, the rest of them kind of have like one offers, have a few little roles here and there, so that's why I think we've got to go Wyatt Earp again. I think so. 
I All agree. Right. Last category with characters, we've got deep cut characters. So in Wyatt Earp, Adam Baldwin plays Tom McClory. Taya Leone pops in as Sally. And Lawrence Kasdan pops in as Gambler. <laughs> un- he puts un- himself un- in his own movie, un- just, like, just like M. Night. Got to do it. Got to do it. Tombstone, you have Michael Rooker. As Sherman McMasters, who you will probably remember as Yondu from Guardians of the Galaxy. Harry Carey Jr. as Marshall Fred White. Is that really Harry, like, Harry Carey's son? Yeah. Okay. Billy Bob Thornton as Johnny Tyler. Billy Zane as Mr. Fabian. And Terry O'Quinn as Mayor John Clum. I think we know who's going to win this one. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, we don't even have to argue it. Really, it's got. I mean, you got you got Michael Rooker. I mean, you got Billy Bob, Billy Zane. Like, yeah, and that's some good deep cut characters in this. Billy Bob is great. That's like fat Billy Bob. Oh Um, yeah, yeah. big Billy Bob. You know what's funny is that and Terry Quinn. I mean, I mean, I love Terry Quinn, especially from Lost. But what's funny is that like Billy Zane, I think, is somebody that we know from our generation. But I don't. I can't think of a lot of things he's actually been in. Like, I can't think of four things he's been in. Um. Titanic, yeah. This this movie, Zoolander, Zoolander, and then what was he the was, fan, the Phantom? <laughs> yeah, the Phantom. I was trying to think of that one. I was like, I was like, what the hell movie was he in where he was like a superhero? Uh, but I, but that's it. But I but I still feel like everyone like fuck like knows that guy. <laughs> I think he's been on like he's been in TV a lot too. Okay, right. And we'd have to look up his acting credits, and then we'd probably be like, oh, we'd probably remember a lot more things. But yeah, we don't have time for that. Well, nonetheless. But, Billy Zane brings it home for Tombstone. Best deep, deep, deep listen, cut. Character. Listen to your friend Billy Zane. <laughs> He's a cool dude. He's a cool dude. <laughs> okay. So Tombstone wins that one. On to favorite scenes. So let's talk wider first. We've got, I mean, pretty near the beginning, the, the bar fight with Ed Ross. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like this scene just because it kind of, you kind of start to see why it, like he's like that's uh, that's like the first time of him taking his father's advice because yeah. his father told him like like if if you're gonna hit you hit to kill otherwise it's gonna be basically otherwise it's gonna be your ass and um, this guy didn't like like he had just got done refing again we you know we just referenced that and we'll probably get into that a little bit more as far as like the historical accuracy of some of these movies or at least our amateur comparison of them. Um, where he just got done refing, guy didn't like it, threatened to shoot him, and he threw a pool cue. he threw a pool ball at his neck, which was awesome. And then he took his guns, and then right. I guess that was his first guns that he ever had. Well, in the movie, I don't know if it's real life or not. Whatever. Well, and then so then we've got like a kind of a big gap between <laughs> between scenes. Well, so I liked that one, and then I liked um, the 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 other. Well, I don't know when that one was. There was one. Oh well, we have it. It's it's under our famous quotes where he had just got done and he stopped drinking because of everything. Like this is after he cleaned himself up and he was a Skinner, and um, he just got done and he was drinking coffee because he doesn't drink booze and he had to br- basically bribe the bartender. And some guy comes in, it's like I just got a bunch of money. Everybody drink, and he's and he looks at the guy and says, "Mister, I've been in I've been in a bad mood for a couple of years. So why don't you just back off?" <laughs> yeah. And then the guy was going to shoot him, and then he. Yo, he pulled his gun real fast and s- drop your gun to get out of here. That was also a cool one because that actually starts to show again a little bit more of his father's advice. But like, 
now he's starting to get he you could tell he was practicing a little bit because now he's really fast yeah he's kind of a quiet subdued guy slash mm-hmm. drunk for the first third of the movie and now it's like okay he's gonna be kind of become into this this badass kind of starting kind to turn of, into a hard ass kind of an asshole kind of an image of his father kind of a dick right and so he has his first encounter next big scene first encounter in dodge city with the clement game um and there's the there's the quotes you know who the fuck is white herb awesome. and, and he says later on i want to see what you had for breakfast and split you open see what you had for breakfast yep and that's just yeah and that's just kind of that that kind of me against the world kind of thing where he just you almost have to be crazier than the other guy for them to right. get you to get you to do something and that's just him like whether he was do it on purpose or not like showing that like i don't care like if you want to die for this fine but i'm gonna kill you if you don't do what i tell you to right and then, after that doesn't really matter because your, your boys are gonna get whatever but is it worth it no all right drop your guns let's go so wyatt the next big scene wyatt returning to dodge city and law and order no longer exists the Masterson brothers. I mean, they've one of them. Who who was it? Uh, Bat, Ed, Ed Ed died. Ed, Ed got killed. Bat still kicking. Bill Pullman died. Yes. And then Tom Sizemore was still around. Yeah. And they all walk in in different, various length black coats and guns. <laughs> <laughs> and they just said, "It all ends now." That was a fucking badass. That was awesome. That was awesome. The gunfight at the OK Corral is obviously a, an amazing scene. It's obviously a good one. And then we've got, uh, you know, kind of a, an instance where he shows a little bit of humanity defending Tommy O'Rourke against the lynch mob. Yeah, that was at the very, very end of the movie where, like, his son came up to him on, like, a cruise on, like, Alaska, like, well after he had retired. And, you know, they kind of retold, he basically kind of retold the story of what happened. Yeah. And then Josie, Josie says, or he said, you know, at the end of that, he said, some people say it didn't happen that way. And she says, never mind them, why it happened that way. And that's how yeah. the movie ends. Yeah. All right. So that's Wyatt Earp. Favorite favorite of your of those scenes. What's your favorite? I'd probably say the last one, that Tommy O'Rourke scene. Mm. You're a little I mean, you're more a little more sensey. Well, because I, not not really just like again, it was kind of more of that like me against the world kind of thing, but there was a couple like there was like, you know, you boys can get me. You know, there's no denying that with all the firepower you got here, but I will get 10 of your 12 of you with me. It's like, so come up here and stand up here with these brave men and we can all go together. Yeah. And then they go away again, similar to like the Clement gang where it's like, Hey, I'm going to get you and they're going to get me. But then whatever happens, happens after that. And then again, they wilt, they die down. They realize it's not worth dying for. And this guy's serious. And yeah. uh, I don't know. This is really cool. Like all the other stuff. It's like, yeah, whatever. But like that actual, like the flashback scene was it was probably one of my favorites. It does tell a pretty cool story. Mm-hmm. I I love I love the when they all return to Dodge City. <laughs> that's my that's my favorite part. And it's so quick. It's, it is, it's let's call it 45 seconds long. And it's on it's yeah. the cool it's the coolest scene because it's just a still camera focused on the entry doorway. Yeah. And and them all just walking in one at a time. And then Wyatt shotgun in the in the air. I'm like, yeah, they put, they put like the bullet riddled sign of like no guns in tombstone. They like yeah. hammer it back in and then they go to work. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, that's all right. Both. Very, I mean, they're all, they're all good scenes. They're all good scenes. Well, and a little bit about that, like we talked about this before we started recording. It's like, 
it's hard it was hard to find like memorable like there's plenty of memorable scenes but it's like not ones that you would consider your favorite probably because of the nature of the movie where the first half of it is talking about his like younger years it's like his favorite scene isn't when you were like you could probably make the case of when he was like driving the stagecoach, like when he was uh, his friend was riding shotgun and they were ch- being chased by bandits or whatever. But like when his wife died and he burned his house down, an important scene to to understand like his character's progression, but not a it's not a favorite. It's kind of a downer. His like the beginning of his life. There's a lot of downers in there, so there's yeah. not a lot of like not a lot of things that you would consider a favorite scene important. Yes. Favorite. No, I think this, I think this movie, it's almost, it's almost ahead of its time. And what I mean by that is that you don't see a lot of epic stories being told on the screen like this was, and this movie was, was hours long. I mean, it was not, it was not a short film. Right. And that's kind of what we're used to now. Like tell the whole story. The first half, there's going to be a lot of, denouements or some low low moments where not even low moments just just kind of like not a lot of action going on but that's okay because you're telling a full story and that's what this film attempts to do and that's not what tombstone attempts to do and that's maybe an argument of why one's more successful than the other another thing i'd say is that i almost feel like Wyatt Earp could have i mean can you imagine if, if this was being told now let's let's just call it 2020 someone's deciding to put together something for Wyatt Earp this isn't a film this is a Netflix show, you know, yeah. like this is, this is like a 45 minute long, 10 episode series. Yeah. And that's fucking awesome. That would be cool. And then maybe season two is from the Cowboys perspective. Maybe season three is another, you know, type of lawman from back in the day. From, right. Like from like Behan's perspective or sure. Or not even, like, not even like the Earp, Earp gang. Maybe it's some other type of, maybe it's like Billy the kid or, you know, some other type of, right. You know, it's like an anthology, kind of like a like a True Blood. Yeah, not, not True Blood, True True uh, True True true, detective, true, true detective. True Detective. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that because now you start to see that happening, especially with with Marvel. Like Endgame was three and a half hours long. Yeah. But with the amount of storytelling that they wanted to do, they changed mediums with some of the things, and you had, you know, WandaVision, and now you have you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where yeah there that was they they wanted to do too much for a single for a single film and they didn't want to probably break it up into two films they said let's just let's do some of this storytelling in a tv series and that way it'll set up another movie but it was just too much to try to cram into one and you want to tell the whole story you want to get some of the background in there like could falcon and the winter soldier be a film sure but i love that it's actually close to five or not five movies, but it's five hours of content that really takes time to have conversations. And I mean, the most recent episode, episode five, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there are, I was just watching it. There are four straight scenes of nothing but two people having a five minute conversation sitting around talking. And then it goes to another conversation. (laughs) You can't do that in a movie because you just don't have the time. No. And they did a good, and you started to see that kind of turn a little bit in the later movies. And now we're getting off on a tangent, but like Captain Marvel, there were a few scenes where they were just sitting around, like her and Fury are just doing the dishes. Like you didn't have that in any of the earlier Marvel movies. Like you didn't, they didn't take the time to do that kind of stuff. But now there's like the character development is a little important because they're trying to build up new ones. So I think that's why they're probably taking their time a little bit more. 
Anyways, so I thought I think I think that taking that, its time. Wyatt I think, Earp. I think Wyatt Earp really did take it take its time, and if you have the time, it's <laughs> worth watching because it is a really well told told story. But it's not quite like the the action heavy hitters, which is what Tombstone is. So let's get into Tombstone with our with our favorite scenes. You want to go first? Exactly. Um, the opening with Curly Bill, so where they like crash the Mexican wedding, and he was like, "Y'all kill two cowboys," and then they shoot everybody, and then really like when. Ringo kills the priest and it's like it kind of immediately kind of tells you who these people are and what they're about and that nothing is sacred and right. they don't care about anything yeah they're just fucking they're cowboys man the cow yeah the next scene is we've got wyatt and johnny tyler and and there's there's the whole you, get, you know it's it's kind of cool because you get he, the whole thing is amazing but he goes in there it's really kind of showing how he gains some power, gains some some uh some I guess funds, right? He gets a job basically by kicking out. He gets yeah, he gets a cut of this place. But also shows how big of a bad he is because he doesn't have a gun. He doesn't have a gun the whole time. And he and he kicks him out of there, he pistol whips him or, or no, he doesn't no, slaps, slaps, him. slaps him across the face twice. You gonna do something or stand there and bleed or just stand there and bleed. Um and then finally he leaves. But then it also, like again, it also at the same time it introduces Doc Holiday, not Hollywood. Doc Holiday, because he comes back with a shotgun. He comes back. This is Doc, and they're just talking to each other. Oh, Johnny, you're still there. You may go now. <laughs> you may go now. Well, <laughs> well that's when. Shotgun. Yeah, and that's when he and that's when Tyler realizes that that was Wyatt Earp that was slapping him. It's like Wyatt Earp. Holy yeah. shit! I was about to. Oh man, that would have been a bad decision. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he just got slapped. Around. Drops a shotgun and says, "Thank you," and walks yeah. away. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Billy Bob, good job, Billy Bob, coming in hot. Good, All right. good job, Billy Bob. Yep. Um. So again, another co- combo. They're they're at the bar and it's the drunk piano player, and then they're kind of first like encounter, first kind of tension between Ike Clinton and it was uh, Billy Claiborne, Thomas Hayden Church's character. Um. Where he's playing the show, he's playing. He's playing the piano. And it's like, don't you know any like, oh Susanna, Camptown races, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Stinking Foster, and then he's like, well, this happens to be a nocturne, a witch, you know, Frederick Bucking Chopin, just great, yeah. And then they, and then, and then I think, yeah. And then they go outside, and it's like, I have two guns, one for each of you. <laughs> <laughs> Can't even see, just drunk uh, piano player double. Yeah, well, that and that, that that's actually like two scenes kind of tied together because it's that, but then it leads into we've got um, what's right. his name? Um, well, I can't think of his Brocious, who's who's out out off doing. I don't know if he's doing peyote or whatever he's doing. He just starts shooting everything and eventually kills the sheriff. That's when he kills Fred White. Yep. Yeah, and then they go outside because White tries to take him, and he's like he fends off the lynch mob. And then they come back and they say, "Turn him loose." Yeah, and, he, and he, the best part is he puts the gun up to Ike and says, "You ain't as dumb as you look." What did he say? He said, "You all may get me in a rush, but I'm taking you with me, Ike." Well, I'll, not before I make your head into a canoe. Into a canoe. Yeah, he goes. He's not. He's, he's bluffing. He's bluffing. He's not bluffing. He's not. You ain't as stupid as you look. You look, Ike. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then here comes Doc to the to the rescue to help out. And finally, final, finally, Virgil and, and Morgan show up. Right. You know, yeah, they show up too. Sleeping on the job. Yeah, sleeping. So that, that's a really long. It's actually maybe like two scenes. That's like two it's or three scenes. One, it's one whole thing, basically. It's a sequence. It's a sequence. Yeah, Good. it's a sequence. Yep. Yeah. 
the next scene is the the card scene with Doc and Ike. Basically, they start getting into it, and I mean, because Doc just always wins, and Ike is a giant baby about it. <laughs> and then, and then Ike, of course, to show off his manhood, has to go slap the bartender like a, like an asshole. I ain't yep. gonna take no lip for no bartender. <laughs> Right. Um, the night at the theater, so they all they all go out, and that's where we get, you know, kind of the introduction to uh, Billy Zane, Mister Fabian, and uh, that's when he sees Josie at the first time. But just that whole sequence of like the juggler, and he's like, "Oh, professor, he catches things, catch this," and then he shoots. He's like they're really shooting us. <laughs> yeah. He runs off the stage, and then Billy Zane comes on, and then. You know, he does his his speech from Henry V, and like the guys love it. And then Josephine Marcus comes on, and she's the devil. And who's the devil? It's like I'll be damned. It's like, well, you might if you get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one liner there. Um, the bar scene between we're not really going in, in a specific order. We're kind of hopping around a little bit. The bar scene between Doc and Johnny. This is after that because this is the, everybody goes to the well, everybody right. goes to the bar. Yeah. But the but the but the drunk piano, the cards that's that's before, isn't it? Doesn't yeah, I think matter. that's before. Doesn't matter. We're hopping around a little bit. We're right. So around. we've got the the bar scene between Doc and Johnny, and of course Johnny shows off his amazing gun twirling arm. Yeah, skills pretty amazing. Yeah. And Doc counters with showing off those same skills with a with a small cup slash shot glass. Which I mean, is that a shot glass? Is that what that is? No, that's that's just like a tin cup. Tin cup. Looks like the size of a shot glass, though. Silver. I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a little bit bigger than a shot glass. Oh, like three ounces, maybe. Whatever he had to sip on his hooch. Yeah, that was a pretty great way. And of course, you know, just not show, not to make sure we show that that Wyatt knows what he's doing. He's got that little sawed-off shotgun underneath the uh, the poker table. Yeah, just hanging there on a wire, just in case. Yep. Uh, The next one is the OK Corral. Just the whole OK Corral scene. Right. You know, deputizing, walking in there. The whole wall. I mean, the the walk down the street is the cover of the of the of the movie. It's the poster, basically. It's the poster. Yeah. Yeah. And And then. Yep. Yeah. And then the uh, the, like that little ambush that they do by the river and the the killing of Curly Bill were just and, and even like the aftermath where it's like, think of something. He just says no. Yeah. And he gives up, and nobody apparently can hit him with a bullet at all because he's, you know, a deity. Right. And uh, <laughs> and then he kills Curly Bill. And then I like the line for it's like, "You ever seen anything like that? Hell, I never heard anything like that. Where is he, anyways? Oh, he's over by the creek, walking on water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, the gunfight between Doc and Johnny, which is really kind of a cool scene because it shows off. They're both equally crazy in their own way. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like a good versus bad, but also not like neither of them are good. They're both. I mean, I guess you can call Doc like an antihero kind of at least the way he's portrayed in this movie. But anyway, just this, their whole dialogue back and forth. And then finally the uh, come on, come on. You're no Daisy. Oh, you're no Daisy you're at no, all. You're no Daisy at all. Poor soul. He was just too high strung. <laughs> what is it? in the last line he says my my hypocrisy only See, goes, goes so, so far, far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then just the, the final montage of them like tracking down the rest of the, the last ride of Wyatt Earp and his immortals and then just all that 
jazz finding people and shooting people off horseback and whatever so i rewatched this last night what what's your favorite scene i don't know there's so many good ones there are there really are i i'm i'm gonna kind of cheat and add together the two scenes going from the drunk piano player ike and the gang all the way through all the way through the the confrontation with with curly bill okay like when he shot fred white that whole thing yeah the whole thing that whole the whole see the whole sequence yeah um close close second are doc doc and johnny that that last fight yeah um i would probably have to say god anything with doc um i would say i would probably say the card scene with doc and ike just because there's a lot of good one-liners in that there really are there's really are um and then probably a close second is probably the bar scene between doc and johnny just because it's so funny yeah where it's like oh you're good at this okay fine well i'm just gonna throw my little cup and just look, good at look, that, look, look i can do it too it doesn't mean doesn't mean you can you're a killer it doesn't mean you can shoot me it just means that you're good at twirling your gun whoop de do there's it's also kind of a master class and like it creates a lot of tension but it's not super confrontational in your face it's more of like a, i don't know what either they of start, these sides are going to do they start speaking <laughs> latin to each other right like, evidently yeah. mr ringo here is an educated man now I really hate him. It's almost like a sexual tension buildup, but it's not sexual. <laughs> right. Um, okay. All good scenes. Definitely a lot of uh, big hitters there. Okay. Most obscure facts. Let's start with Wider. This one shouldn't be surprising. It speaks it kind of. We, we just talked about it. I mentioned earlier. It was originally conceived as a six-hour miniseries, and it probably should have been. Yeah. I think it would have been. Be- I think it would have been better. And I think it probably would have gotten a little bit more acclaim had it been six one-hour episodes or even three two-hour episodes, whatever you want to do. But like, but again, split it up. I, but again, I think it's just the timing. Like this is ninety-four, so like if this is ninety-nine, this is on HBO and it's a killer, right? Oh yeah. But that's that's just it's five years. It literally was five years too soon. But unfortunately, Tombstone was one year too soon. To yeah. Make, I mean. For wider, well, and and the, and the formula Tombstone. for Tombstone was just a little bit different because they they focused on, like they, the opening scene is them showing up in Tombstone, right? They touch on Dodge City, like they talk about Dodge City, but you don't see any of that. It's just what happens there. Uh, the real Wired Earp six shooter was loaned by the Earp Museum and used in some of the scenes during a number of the close-ups. Really cool. Dennis Quaid lost over. 30 pounds to play Doc Holliday, who suffered from tuberculosis. Gene Hackman received third billing, and his name is on all the posters, although he has less than 10 minutes of screen time. Yeah. So Michael Madsen was actually offered the role of Vincent Vega, who, in from Pulp Fiction, w- would actually was played by John Travolta, but he couldn't get released from this film. And that's interesting, because that, that movie kind of reinvigorated Travolta's career and I actually read an article about this and said Madsen was really upset that he couldn't accept the Pulp Fiction role like he really wanted to do that one right well he's coming off of Reservoir Dogs and I'm sure mm-hmm. he's, he wanted he's to making, keep working with yeah. uh with Quentin yep 
Though the maiming of Virgil Earp and the murder of the youngest Earp sibling Morgan was shown in the film as happening on the same night after the gunfight at the OK Corral, as we discussed earlier, on October 26, 1881, in real life, the ambush of Virgil and Morgan's murder happened separately. Virgil was crippled the same night in the gun battle in 1881, and Morgan was was murdered about five months later in March of 82. Yeah, so we kind of talked a lot about Dave Rudabaugh, but let's go into a little more depth about what actually happened. He, After his talk with Doc Holliday, and while Wyatt didn't actually directly arrest him, the outlaw would continue to have his run-ins with lawmen for the next five years. Wyatt actually telegraphed the information he got from Holliday to Bat Masterson, who did arrest Rudabaugh in Kansas in 1878. Following this and other run-ins with Earp in Dodge City, Dave fled to New Mexico and actually partnered up with Billy the Kid. And Dave Rudabaugh, I believe, is mentioned in Young Guns, right? Pretty sure he is. I think so, too. I'm pretty sure he is. It's been a while, but... (laughs) Anyway, following a shootout at Stinking Springs on December 3rd, 1880, he was taken prisoner along with Billy and shipped off to prison for trial in Santa Fe. And in February of 1881, he was sentenced to hang for his crimes, but escaped custody. This happens all the time. I feel like they're always escaping custody. Like Their jail cells were not very well (laughs) built back then. There, he joined the Clanton faction in their battles against Earp and his family. He actually, they think that he may have taken part in the shootings of Virgil and Morgan Earp, as well as the clash at Iron Springs, where Curly Bill was killed. Rudabaugh finally was killed when he and decapitated in Mexico on February 18, 1886. That's not a good way to go. Nope. He got it. <clears throat> so let's talk about some interesting facts from Tombstone. The line quoted by Doc at the end of the fight of the OK Corral is historically true and was reported in the Tombstone Papers reporting the fight. When confronted by one of the cowboys at point-blank range, the cowboy reportedly said, I got you now, Doc, you son of a bitch, to which Doc gleefully retorted, you're a daisy if you do. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So in an interview with True West Magazine in October 2006, Kurt Russell admits that after original director Kevin Jari was fired, he directed a majority of the picture. And according to Russell, George P. Cosmatos served merely to make things run smoothly. Also in that same interview, Russell states the film was nearly cast with Richard Gere as Wyatt Earp and Willem Dafoe as Doc Holliday. I think Willem Dafoe, I'm not so sure about Richard Gere, but I think Willem Dafoe could have pulled off Doc Holliday. I think he could, but I'm wondering, I mean, they're, I think both of them are almost like, I don't know if they're too short. I, I, don't, I don't know how to, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm sure. Right. Listen, there's a lot of movie magic and tricks. I'm sure that would have been fine, but. Robert Mitchum was signed on to star as old man Clanton. Prior to principal photography, he fell from his horse and injured his back, forcing him to quit the part. Instead, Mitchum provides the narration at the beginning of beginning and end of the film. Really cool. White Earp's fifth cousin, who's also named White Earp, plays Billy Claiborne. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Val Kilmer practiced for a long time on his quick draw and gave his character a Southern aristocrat accent. The Southern accent is an authentic touch as Holiday was was a cousin, several generations removed, of Margaret Mitchell, author of Gone with the Wind. Yeah, and lastly, and we already mentioned Defoe possibly playing Doc Holliday, but the reason why he didn't play it is that Buena Vista refused to distribute the film as he, if he was cast because of his role in the controversial film 
The Last Temptation of Christ. I never saw that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. But yeah, anything about like Jesus or whatever is always controversial. People get, he, people get touchy when it, yeah. you start going into that, going down that religion. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. All right, into let's talk quotes. So we're going to get into Wyatt Earp first. And <laughs> I, all right, so this is Doc Holliday says, all of you can kiss my rebel dick. That's, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> that is a pretty good one. Um, uh, Nicholas Earp, remember this, all of you, nothing counts so much as blood. The rest are just strangers. Yeah, Wyatt Earp says, what's wrong with you? This is the next one. Doc Holliday says, what is wrong with me? What have you got? I'm died of tuberculosis. I sleep with the nastiest whore in Kansas. Everyone who knows me hates me. And every morning I wake up surprised that I have to spend another day in this piss hole world. And then he says the rebel dick line. And then he that. says the rebel dick line. Yeah. And then Wyatt says, not everyone hates you, Doc. Doc says, I know it's not always being my friend, but I'll be there when you need me. And again, just that's a really good way to kind of convey their... Doesn't tell the whole story of how they get to become friends, but that's a really good way to just convey that he's going to be there throughout the story and it's going to happen at some point. So, right. Um, another line from Doc: My mom always told me never to put off till tomorrow people you can kill today. <laughs> yep, that's, that's well well said. Yep. Another couple lines with Doc. This is uh, he's having a conversation with Frank and McClary, and McClary says, "You're next on my list, Holiday. You better used to see in my face because it's the last thing you're going to see." To which Holiday responds, McClary, seeing your face would be a pleasant change. I understand most of your enemies got it in the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I was basically calling him a coward. Yeah. Um, this is one. So I referenced this one earlier. Wyatt said, Mr. I've been in a really bad mood, mood for the last few years. So I'd appreciate if you just leave me alone. Huh. It's just good. Yep. And then finally, Holiday has a little more moment with uh, Morgan. He says, you know, Morg, Wyatt is my friend. But, but I believe I'm beginning to love you. And that's right after Morgan says, I think we should just kill them all. Yeah. So that's why he says that. All right. Stone, we already kind of said a lot of these. Like, we already said the Amya Huckerberry. You're, oh, actually, we didn't. No, we said I'm, I'm a daisy. You're a daisy if you do. Yeah. You're yeah, no so the, the first two are really from the the fight with um with Johnny Ringo. All three, first three, the first. Oh yeah, the third. Yeah, the first three because he says, "Oh, I didn't think you didn't think you'd show." It's like I'm your Huckleberry, and then he said, "You know why, Johnny Ringo? Looks like someone just walked over your grave." Yeah, he says, uh, "The fight's not with you." He goes, "I beg to differ." And then later on, he shoots them, and you're no day. We started a game. We started a game we could not finish. Play for blood. Remember? So I could just go. I could just keep going. <laughs> All right, do the Ike one. Ike, what is it now? 12 hands in a row holiday, you son of a bitch. Nobody's that lucky. Why, Ike, whatever do you mean? Maybe poker's just not your game. Ike, I know. Let's have a spelling contest. (laughs) (laughs) And then this is one of my favorite ones. So this is, I think this, actually, this is when he is playing with Ike where Wyatt says, you're hitting a little hard, aren't you, Doc? I said, I've not just, I've not yet begun to defile myself. (laughs) All right, so scene stealer from Wyatt Earp. I think that it's Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid alone. I think so too. I, I don't. Yeah. And same thing with Tombstone. 
What's yeah, Hunter I, Squade? I do want to say with Tombstone, I know Val Kilmer is going to win it, but I do think it's important to mention Michael Bean because when he's with any other cowboy scene, he is he is the focal point. And that's why I actually think that last one of the last scenes with him and Val Kilmer together is so great because they're just both such strong personalities in this film. Like they're, and, and, they're, and, and, yeah, and like they're the killers. Like, right, the, like, right. like Ike, Curly, Wyatt, whatever. No, like Doc and Johnny are killers. Yeah. And they won't, they don't have any hesitation about it. So that's why, yeah, I think kind of to your point about Michael Bean, like you don't know what he's going to do. So you're watching him to see what he's going to do whenever he's on the screen. Yeah. All right. So we're getting it to the two people who played Doc, but strong second by old Johnny Ringo. A little bit of impact, nostalgia, lessons we learned from Wyatt Earp. What are, what are some thoughts with Wyatt Earp you got? So, and, and again, we don't know why, but Tombstone just completely overshadowed this film. Like, granted, it came out a little bit earlier. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I mean, for reasons that we've kind of discussed on this, where Tombstone is the one that you you will watch over and over and over and over and over, obviously, because I'm quoting, you know, half the movie just without doing any research. And then Wyatt Earp just isn't for some reason. Now, I think that's probably because. It's like we said, it probably could, should have been a miniseries had this come out in a different time. It goes into a lot more detail on his personal life. And based on like the facts that we went over uh, at the beginning of the episode, a lot of it was close. And a lot of it was true where he was you know, working for Wells Fargo and he was doing this and he took a wife and she died of typhoid with his you know, unborn child. And then he got drunk and got in trouble and. Yeah, I think that this is the the deep impact Armageddon situation where honestly Tombstone came out first and then it wins. And I think at that point, people maybe have wider fatigue a little bit. And even though it's less than a year later, people are like, no, I don't. Now, here's what's interesting is I almost think that if it's the other way around, because Wyatt Earp was such more of a of an entire story, if that comes out first, it probably does pretty well. But then I think Tombstone also does well because it's more of a focus on a specific area of this long story that's been told. Whereas I think most people are probably going, well, I've already seen the most most important part of Wyatt Earp. Why do I need to watch this whole story of him? You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's like three hours a, long. <laughs> yeah, Wyatt Earp's it's a biopic, whereas yeah. Tombstone focuses on really it focuses on the the lead up to the events and the aftermath of the shootout at the OK Corral. Right. And it touches a little bit on the family and what they're trying to do and their motives for everything. But it's about the singular event. So, yeah, I probably agree with that. If Wyatt comes out first, I think they both do well. And Tombstone, though, a little bit of impact. I mean, we, we I quote this movie a lot. I know you do, too. Yeah. And it's interesting because it, a lot of times I do it. It doesn't even really fit. <laughs> like, like, you don't no. say... I'm your Huckleberry. Like, why would you say that? But I feel like I I do say that um, more often, all, than all the time. Right. Yes. Okay. So the last little section here before we pick our winner, just kind of overall thoughts, nerd thoughts, questions, things that you thought of as the movie was was kind of going on that you're just curious about. So, question number one, on a scale of one to ten, how close do you think these are to what actually happened? 
So I'll, I'll go first, and I'll just do one at a time. I think that looking at the historical accuracies of both film, and I've done a good amount of research of both, White Herb is pretty darn close. Um, White, I'd say on a scale of one to ten, White Herb, we're talking like an eight. Like it's pretty spot on. Um, if we're talking Tombstone, Tombstone has a lot of things that actually happen, but a, a couple differences that I think they really they didn't include. Number one, actually in Tombstone, we're missing quite a few of the Earps. There were more brothers besides just Virgil and Morgan. And Morgan, there were also a bunch of other nine siblings in total. We got sisters Martha, Virginia, and Adelia. We got half brother Newton. We got James, who James is in White Earp, but he's not really in not in, in Tombstone, I don't think. We got Warren. We got, I mean, these are all other siblings that are in the in White Earp that we don't see in Tombstone. Um, but also with Tombstone, that whole scene with the creek, and apparently, like, people have documented historically that, at least according to, you know, eyewitnesses or whatever, that he really did miss them, like, three times, just point blank, just straight up missed them. <laughs> and then, and then Wyatt just kills kills, you know, Curly just, Bill. Just shoots him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, and apparently, Holiday used to say, "You're a daisy if you do." That was a line that he used to use. Um, as well as his finger walking trick. That was something else he used to with with his. Well, actually, that was a thing Doc Kilmer did. Sorry. Um, the coin. Yeah, but anyway, so that so I, I think that like we're talking Wyatt Earp. I'm gonna give I'm gonna get a score an eight. Tombstone. I'm giving it a score of a seven. No, I'm gonna go six, six, because there's also a lot. So there's also a lot of that inaccuracies, maybe of how many cowboy. I mean, with that whole mod, and I would call it a montage, but the last 15 minutes of the movie, 20 minutes of the movie, when he's hunting down on the cowboys, you would be led to believe he killed 45 cowboys or more. <laughs> he killed the entire gang. He killed every except, cowboy ever to live, to live, except except for Ike. Yeah, like, except for Ike and except for Johnny Ringo, who who Val Kilmer uh, Doc killed. But in reality, it was only like a dozen or so. Um, right. Basically, the major ones, they broke up the cowboys and kind of, anyway, you know, you cut cut the head off the snake, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you got? What are, your, what are your rankings there? So I do, I, I will agree with you, Wyatt Earp, you know, based on the research that, that we did, a little bit more historically accurate, especially, well, I mean, it talks a little bit more about the background and that holds true to kind of, his life uh in general i don't think hollywood movies are that accurate so like i'm gonna give wyatt earp like a five and tombstone like a three because i think they're probably like when you think about like it's impossible to compare like what actually happened nobody at this point in time nobody knows what actually happened so does hollywood take liberties on a lot of things absolutely because they gotta they're not here to you know make a documentary they're here to make money so But it was still entertaining, so I don't care. But yeah, historical accuracy, five and three. Got it. You're also a history history person, so that makes sense why your numbers are a little lower, a lot lower, actually. Yeah, I care about that kind of stuff. How close do you think Doc and Wyatt were in real life? I th- I mean, I think they were... It's obvious that they were friends. I just don't know how chummy they were. Because in both of these, like, they're really good friends. Yeah. Like to the point where, like, Wyatt's brothers are like, I don't know why you like him so much. Well, that and it is, it is somewhat. Um, well, I don't know. It's it's a mixture of contradictory, but also not. So you like the way the movie sometimes portrays Wyatt, at least definitely in Tombstone, he's this law-abiding, 
Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe that's not true. I was gonna say like he he's looked at a light as this like highly revered law abiding person, but he also he kind of takes liberties and kind of does whatever the hell he wants. Sometimes he does what he what he needs to do to get the job done. So maybe that's why he does respect Doc. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I hope they're as good of friends as they are in the, in the films. That's what I hope. I hope they were. I think so too. Yeah. And speaking of Doc, like again, I don't, I don't, I don't know because TB is not something that happens. But like, could he really get around that well if he was dying of tuberculosis? Yeah, that's a pretty rough disease. I, I will say they're both portrayed a little bit differently in both films. So like in in Tombstone, he's just a pale ghost. Like he's sweating profusely all the time. <laughs> bedridden. And and like he'll he'll have like fits and he'll be bedridden for days. Yeah. Whereas in Wyatt Earp, he's just hacking and coughing and just just very, very physical. He's just angry. Yeah. Did you know that a little 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 bit of fun fact, Frederick Chopin also died of tuberculosis. Huh. So I I I wonder I think there's a little bit of a reason why he's mentioned in that scene as opposed to other classical okay. Why he's playing Chopin instead of, mm-hmm. you know, someone else. Yeah. It's interesting. Did Ike really surrender like that? I was, you know, and like Tombstone. Like, yeah. Like throwing his, his, uh, throwing his sash and being like, nope, I'm done. Leave me alone. Right. Well, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that he, a lot of the, a lot of the act, a lot of the things that did happen were true. Like he, he was, Chased down multiple times, let loose multiple times, kept having running ins with with Wyatt and all the different herbs. Um, eventually did get killed like a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like that but was maybe I mean I feel like he surrendered like well, he surrendered at least twice in that movie that I can think of. He's just a fucking <laughs> little bitch. He's a little, he's, a, he's a little pansy. All right. So I, I I started thinking about this. It happens multiple times, but especially in the theater scene where they're all having a good time and all of a sudden they all start shooting guns in the air. It's indoors, right? Indoors. Yeah. What? Okay. Number one, did that happen a lot? That's my first question. Follow-up question. If so, what the fuck did like an owner of that building do? Like, do you have to just constantly patch and put up new plywood and like repair? I mean, they weren't exactly like, you know, the guns they are now where they just basically, go straight through i mean they were like hit they hit and they'd explode and they were giant you know i'm sure they were taking out chunks of the ceiling at a time what does one do there i don't know it's a good <laughs> question like is it just is it just constant constant every morning like well gotta go fix the roof that's like the first thing on the chore list yeah put some get some wood and fix the boards I, i'm just repair the bullet holes it bothers me it bothers <laughs> just such such a lack of respect for for the establishment uh, that you're for in? For workmanship, yeah. Just seems like a lot of work they have to do constantly. Anyway. Um, any more questions? Uh, okay. I, what do you think about Michael BN? Do you think that was actually him doing that juggling? I don't know. I'd like to think it was him. but I thought, I thought about that last night. And there are parts where like you can see him juggling. And it does definitely cut to his face. But then there are... I mean, you can see a lot of him too, especially like the side profile where it looks like he's actually the one doing. Now, again, movie magic, he could be doing it and they could be like fi- speeding up the film. Right. It, I mean, it looked, I mean, granted, it's good camera work. It looks like it's him. And it'd be really cool if it was him. Right. Like it'd right. be practice because you mentioned like Val Kilmer practicing his quick draw and like doing that. It's like, what? Well, who's to say that Michael Bean didn't practice doing all that flipping and 
And he was actually doing that because it looks yeah. like he was doing it. And I, I guess I hope that it was him. Hope it was too. Let's just pretend. Let's pretend it was. Let's pretend until, it was until we're told otherwise. It was him. <laughs> All right. Overall winner. What do you got? I mean, it's Tombstone because that's just the one that I like more. Yeah, and I think if we're looking at like the categories, I think you could say like, well, wider. Got, they took they took home I think one more category, like nine to five or five, five to four. But I think what's important to look at, like we're also looking at like secondary and 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 tertiary, whatever you know, characters, things like that. Like really, what you're thinking about is box office and then kind of longevity, and also. Right. And also, what has it done for a lot of the actors and actresses in the films? And I think you could look at Wyatt Earp and you can say a lot of people peaked around that time, whereas a lot of people in Tombstone have gone on to have additional careers and have like have more longevity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and just overall, the film has more longevity. Tombstone is on more often and made way more money at the time. And, it, and I'm sure that if we looked at like since then, the post DVD Blu-ray streaming sales, I'm sure we would be able to find out that Tombstone is far superior to wider. I agree. Yeah. All right. I like Tombstone, it more. But here's a lasting thought though. Tombstone, fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing with yourself? But I do think that if you're super interested in, this kind of stuff you want to learn about Wyatt Earp and just kind of a little bit of about the wild west especially in the southwest like watch the film Wyatt Earp because it does a pretty good job of at least giving you an essential understanding of the journeys of these lawmen and some you know pretty pivotal moments in in that history so yeah I agree yeah well said thank you (laughs) all right there you have it Wyatt Earp our final part of the show is always a little bit of nerd outreach. So let's start with some thank yous. Good old Wyatt. Wyatt, that's a, that's a name you don't hear a lot anymore. No, oh. I'm just off on a tangent. Wyatt? Well, did you, I mean, isn't that pretty funny that Kurt Russell's son is named Wyatt? I wonder why. I mean, maybe that's because he just really liked this role. He was getting it. I hope it was. I hope it was too. <laughs> I mean, it's probably around, no, he, well. He, no, it's probably around the same time. He's probably like in his 30s, and that would have been... No, I think he might have been born a little before that. But maybe he was big into wider before that. Could have been. Maybe that's why he wanted the role. Could have been. All right. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. Never know. Well, I, we could probably find out pretty easily, but we don't know right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so always. back into, finally, wrapping it up, Nerd Outreach. You got any thank yous? Um, trying to think. I don't really... I don't really have anybody specific to thank you this time around. There's nothing that I can really think of that's going on special in my life. I'll tell you who I'm not going to thank. I'm not going to thank the St. Louis Blues and what they, what they're doing right now. It's it's a really it's a challenge to to be a part. The um, lack of the lack of movement at the trade deadline and blowing the lead yesterday. Just just as a fan base. Well, you know what? Here's who I want to thank. Let's thank our friends over at Optional Skate Blues. We were able That's to be, yeah, we were we were able to be judges, uh, not judges, guest guest uh, guests over there on their show a couple weeks ago, talking about favorite hockey films. Yeah, and, kind of a, a crossover event. If you haven't listened to it, check it out on either of ours. Yeah, Optional Skate Blues. Check it out. We got uh, our friends Mike and Eric. They were they were awesome, and really cool podcast too. Yeah. Definitely. I, I've been keeping up. It's so funny that their their episodes are very, very essentially the way my brain 
and my, my physical and emotional reactions to the blues. It's panic bus. Oh no, I think we're fine for now. Now let's start it up again. Um, <laughs> panic bus. We won three in a row. Now we're buyers at the trade deadline. We uh, lost again. Panic bus. We're uh, out of play. Two in a row. Oh, now we're at. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a roller coaster, so to speak. So a roller coaster of a season. So thanks, fellas. Check that. Check those guys out. Future show suggestions, as always. Comments. We always love hearing from our our, our fans. And just our listeners, period, whether you like us or not, send in via email nerdisnewcoolpodcast at gmail.com or you can use hashtag nerdisnewcoolpodcast on any of the socials. And you can like, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at nerdisnewcoolpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at nerdisthenewco2. And you can listen to us anywhere. Podcasts are available. Just search nerdisthenewcoolpodcast. Yeah, and you probably listened or noticed that we are newly hosted on anchor so if you have a chance pop up that app go go on their website check out anchor it's a pretty cool platform we've been trying to take advantage of them absolutely Um, yeah it's really cool our next episodes we got a couple more full comparison episodes coming up in the near future a couple other kind of throwbacks to our original episode formats but most importantly we're going to wrap up our our pizza uh bracket style challenge we've been having for the last however many months we've been doing that for a while but i mean yeah it takes time it takes time so look forward to that but until then thanks for joining us bye everybody bye bye